Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 471 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I am your host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find wonderful writing courses and an incredibly supportive writing community. This week, I'm bringing you all sorts of little tidbits of information. Firstly, I'm very excited about uh, our interviewee today because she has just gone from strength to strength. She has been on the podcast quite some time ago now, so it's great to get an update from her. More on that soon. I also want to give a big shout out to Kyle Perry. Now, Kyle is a uh, author who we had on episode 440, where we spoke to him about his novel, The Bluffs, set in Tasmania. And Kyle is um, has a day job as a drug and alcohol counsellor, but he wrote this book, The Bluffs, um, in his spare time, and it has gone on to huge acclaim, and it has now been optioned for the screen. So big congratulations to Kyle. Now, I wanted to highlight something to you guys because I thought it was interesting uh, because I literally just then, just before recording this, got off the phone from a mentoring session that I had with one of the members of our Freelance Writing Masterclass program, and she has started to do some copywriting. So she does freelance feature writing, but she has also started to do some copywriting for the real estate industry. And that's why this week, um, my tip comes from the Australian Writers Centre blog, and it's called Five Ways to Get Started as a Real Estate Copywriter. And it's written by our very own real estate copywriting guru, Dean Curry. Now, as we all know, (laughs) real estate is booming at the moment. It's probably the most counterintuitive things that in the the middle of a, um, in the midst of the, all the stuff that's been happening in the world with the pandemic that, um, real estate would go through the roof. I know that at the start of it, a lot of real estate agents thought the bottom would fall out of the market and the complete opposite is true. But of course, as a result, there's a lot of opportunity then, especially for people who are copywriters, because somebody has to write all of those real estate listings and descriptions, right? Real estate writers sometimes write them, but they're not always confident writers. And so that's why they use real estate copywriters. And it's a great gig for somebody who wants to combine their love of writing and a passion for real estate. You don't even actually need a passion for real estate, but sometimes uh, you might have an interest in decor or in houses. And it's a great way to combine those interests, especially if you like a little bit of a sticky beak into other people's houses. So the first tip is actually, well, do a course because we offer a course especially for budding real estate copywriters called Real Estate Copywriting. And a lot of people have done the course and have just gone on from strength to strength because you can carve out quite a lucrative income uh, from writing real estate listings because the supply seems to be endless and you that your bang for buck, you know, for the amount of effort that you put in is pretty fabulous. Now, and once you feel confident to write listings, the second tip is to get the gig, right? So actually get in touch with your local agent. So pick up the phone, talk to them. 
Better yet, maybe go into their office and meet with them. Chat to them at an open for inspection if you need to, if that feels a little bit more natural for you. Uh, And, you know, there's more than just one local real estate agent in your geographic area. There are lots. So it's not that you only have one shot, right? So even if they're not interested right away, leave your details. They may change their mind later down the track or their usual real estate copywriter might be sick or might go on maternity leave or might, you know, be busy or whatever, and they need to find someone. So you want to be top of mind. Don't be afraid to contact all of the agents in an office because often it's up to each individual agent to decide who they use and they might have their own preferred agents. Yep. So there may be a few who are interested in your services. And you know how sometimes you get a, um, a flyer in your letterbox, so look at your junk mail, saying, welcome to our new agent, J- Jim Smith, who's recently joined our agency. Well, that is the perfect opportunity to reach out to the new agent and introduce yourself because you'll have a great excuse to do so, right? I think this is a great tip for any budding copywriters, actually. It's great to have a website, to be on LinkedIn and that sort of thing. But until you're really established, it's unlikely that people will reach out to you and offer you the real estate listing work. You need to reach out to your potential clients. I know that can be terrifying for some writers, but really picking up the phone or meeting someone in person is the best way to build a connection. And don't forget just connections in your local community. Your real estate agent highly likely has kids that go to the local schools. So, you know, maybe you're going to meet them at the school gate or um, at a school event or something like that, a local business chamber and so on. Now, the, the key there is you need to tell them what you do not by shoving it down their throat or anything, but just by talking about it in casual conversation and not being afraid to say that you are a real estate copywriter. Now, often people or businesses don't even know that they need a copywriter. So if you reach out to them and maybe even give them some examples of things that you could do for them, they can then see how they can work with you. So you can read all of the tips on how you can get into real estate copywriting on the blog. It's a good post, five ways to get started as a real estate copywriter. And of course, you can find out more about the real estate copywriting course at writercenter.com.au slash real. That's writercenter.com.au slash real. Now let's move on to our giveaway this week. This book is has gone bonkers. Uh, everyone's been talking about it. It has gone so well. Film rights have been snapped up by Universal. Florence Pugh is set to star as the title character. Um, She's been in some awesome things lately. I really enjoyed her performance in Fighting With My Family. And she was also recently in um, Hawkeye, I think. Uh, Anyway, the, the novel is The Maid by Nita Prose. And actually, someone in our podcast listener community, and if you're not in there, make sure you join the Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and it'd be and request to join. Great to have you in there. But some lovely person in the podcast community actually brought this book to my attention and I got onto it and I thought, this is very cool. So that's why I've arranged this giveaway for you. So we have three copies of The Maid by Nita Prose to give away, and you could win one of those three copies. 
Molly the maid is all alone in the world. She's used to being invisible in her job at the Regency Grand Hotel, thumping pillows and wiping away the grime, dust and secrets of the guests passing through. She's just a maid. Why should anyone take notice? But Molly is thrown into the spotlight when she discovers an infamous guest, Mr. Black, very dead in his bed. This isn't a mess that can be easily cleaned up. And as Molly becomes embroiled in the hunt for the truth, following the clues whispering in the hallways of the Regency Grand, she discovers a power she never knew was there. She's just a maid, but what can she see that others overlook? Escapist, charming, and truly an original heroine, The Maid is a story about how the truth isn't always black and white. It's found in the dirtier grey areas in between. So if you want to win one of three copies of The Maid by Nita Prose, just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 7th of March. So that's writercenter.com.au slash win. So now, are you ready for the word of the week? This week's word of the week is douceur. Douceur, that's D-O-U-C-E-U-R, douceur. It's a noun meaning a gratuity or fee or tip or a conciliatory gift or bribe. But it can also mean sweetness or agreeableness. It's like the way we say to sweeten the deal. So douceur has both the meaning of sweetness and adding a bit of bonus to a deal. So an example sentence may be, after slipping a douceur to the waiter, Henry managed to be seated close to the famous actress. There you go. See if you can use douceur in a sentence this week. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au forward slash book. Right, let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I absolutely loved chatting to this author for so many reasons. One is that I've seen her career trajectory go from first-time author to worldwide phenomenon, and I knew that I had to get her on the show because, well, if you didn't know, the first episode of Tropo just screened on the ABC on the weekend. It's just fantastic, great cast, incredible locations, Brilliant story. I absolutely loved it. And it all originated from Candace's brain. It's based on her book, Crimson Lake, but they've called it Tropo for the TV show because, well, it's set in the tropics. <laughs> and uh, Penguin Random House have re-released the book under the name Tropo as well is a TV tie-in. 
When I first met Candace, she had only released one book. The first was her first novel was Hades, and since then she has been a best-selling book writing machine. Yes, she is a New York Times best-selling author now as well. And she lives right here in Sydney. She's written among other things books like Crimson Lake, Redemption Point, Gone by Midnight, The Chase. There are really so many I couldn't, you know, talk about them all. And she has co-written books with crime writing icon James Patterson, such as Never Never, Fifty Fifty, The Inn, and most recently, Two, Two Sisters Detective Agency. Now, if you want to hear her origin story, then go back and listen to episode 48, way back then. If you want to hear how she got to collaborate with James Patterson, go to episode 129. But this episode, I wanted to delve into what happens when your book becomes a TV show, what you can expect, what's involved, how do you deal when TV producers want to change the story, and so on. I hope you enjoy my chat with Candace Fox. Candace, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is always so fun. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I love chatting to you. I remember the first time we had uh, a chat, we caught up at a cafe and it lasted hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that yeah. was back when you had one book, um, Hades, and you just released your second book. And since then, it's gone nuts. Your career yeah. has gone nuts. You have written so many books. You've had collaborations with James Patterson. And the reason that we're talking to you today is that Crimson Lake, your novel Crimson Lake, which has just been re-released by the publishers mm. under Tropo mm. um, because the television series Tropo has just been released. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so much to <laughs> unpack here, so much for me to discuss yeah. And I have to say, I've watched episode one, absolutely hooked, absolutely love it, Great. everyone. You need to go and watch it and you need to read Crimson Lake or Tropo, um, <laughs> as, as it's also called. So just to set, so that in case there's some new listeners okay. and, and new, you know, new people to the world of Candace Fox, although they must have been living under a rock. Um, <laughs> Crimson Lake, I want to, it's, it's almost like I want to go through the journey of Crimson Lake. Crimson Lake. So tell yeah. us what Crimson Lake is about in case people haven't read it. Well, essentially what I was trying to do is present you with two uh, investigators of a crime. Uh, both of them have been accused of their own terrible crimes. One of them is guilty uh, and, and they're working on something together. So really it's three crimes for the price of one. Um, so Ted Ted Concafi has been accused of a uh, the horrific abduction um, of a teenage girl in Sydney in his hometown he flees to Cairns where he meets uh, Amanda Farrell the eccentric undefinable uh, Amanda Farrell Uh, Amanda fully admits that when she was 17 she uh, murdered a school friend Um, and as you're moving along in the story it's starting to look more and more like Ted did his crime and less and less like Amanda did hers. And, and you know, it's down to the last page before you find out who's actually uh, guilty. They're working together on the case of a, um, in the book it's the case of a, uh, a missing author um, who's, who's, who's gone missing from this local town. He walked out in the middle of the night. His wife um, and son never saw him again. 
uh, it's different in the TV series. Um, yes, we'll, we'll talk about some of the differences sure. when yeah. we get to that. Let's just start with the book. So, yeah. it, you know, I think that, um, uh, and it's interesting because I want to talk about the adaptation to sure. the television series as well. But yeah. with Crimson Lake, yeah. uh, that's, as you say, it's like three crimes for the price of one. There's <laughs> these really interesting characters. How did this idea form? Because you don't live in Cairns. Yeah. You're not a murderer or even a suspected one. So <laughs> how did this idea form? It came together uh, in a few different ways. Um, at the time, we were having a kind of a, a pre-Me Too movement in Australia where these sort of celebrities or B-grade celebrities or public figures were being accused of terrible crimes. You know, we had uh, Robert Hughes and Rolf Harris in quick succession. And um, I was startled by these terrible accusations um, but also by the comments of people around me before there were any kind of trials or anything like that, the, the accusations came out and people were saying, oh, you can tell he's done it because he's just, he's that kind of guy. He just looks, he just looks like that kind of guy. And you're thinking, I'm thinking that's a really dangerous kind of way to think because you're, you're sort of saying that, that, uh, sex offenders or, or or people like that have a um, a particular look and behavior and and that's just dangerous because you know I, I, as somebody I have a child now you can't be thinking oh there's a predator you can tell it's really obvious you know you've got to you've got to keep your mind open so um, there was that and uh, and I just thought to myself, where would I flee if I was accused of a terrible crime? If I, if I was in that situation and my entire world had fallen apart, where would I go? And I have mm. spent some time in Cairns in my life and it's just sort of wild. And the, the sinister nature of that end of Australia is less obvious than it is in sydney you know you're in sydney mm. you're like where's the danger it's right there on the street corner it's in that suburb it's in that street it's very very obvious whereas um when i spent time in cairns you know you see signs everywhere crocodiles beware crocodiles fatalities don't swim here it's all dangerous but everything just looks beautiful you don't <laughs> see any crocodiles you don't see you know it's it's all beneath the surface and i found that mysterious and intriguing and uh, I sort of thought I get I go to a place sometimes I get a sense you know Los Angeles was the same you go there and you think I want to write about this place this is yeah you know okay so one thing that you do have um, a lot of experience in unlike you know killing and (laughs) being accused (laughs) of terrible crimes is being an author and there is a character a very important character in the book who is an author uh, and who gets Fan mail. Yes. <laughs> Interesting fan mail, which, yeah. you know, is it, it, the, 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 the letters are, are in the novel. And you can really get a sense of the fan who, yeah. who is somebody who is, um, you know, really into the author, who mm-hmm. goes and sees the author at events and things like that, knows about the author's personal life, and wants to essentially be the author, wants to yeah. be published as well yeah. and really trying to get the, this This is not a spoiler, by the way, everyone, <laughs> um, it wants to really, you know, get the mm. author to help, uh, advice on, on how to be published. Have you experienced that from certain fans? I have experienced, 
I won't say every kind of fan that there is because I'm sure there's one that will surprise me. Um, but I have experienced every type from the, you know, the, the ones that, that I feel bad for those readers who write to me and they just want to be my friend. And I'm like, you know, I, I can see that you're a great person and that we probably really would be friends, but there are so many of you that I couldn't possibly be friends with all the people who want to be friends with me uh, and, and, and aspiring authors who are very frustrated and angry and they're trying to get published and they're just, you know, knocking on doors and they knock mm. on my door and I understand that. All the way up to, you know, uh, I, I did 21 years for murder and I didn't really do it and the police say I I chopped my girlfriend up with a chainsaw and hit her under the M5. So do you want to talk about it? Here's my number. To I've had people write and say, I know who, I really know who killed this person in this unsolved crime. Here's my email address. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, that's happened a bunch of times. Uh, murder tips and murder, murder tips. What do you mean murder tips? Oh, just people write to me and they say, oh, Candice, I read your book or I heard you on the radio. And one guy said, you seem like a very genuine person and I have this information and the police won't listen to me. Can I tell you? And I'm like, well, I guess. (laughs) You know, that's happened a few times. Okay, on that, because I know I've had many conversations with you and about your curiosity for all things criminal and Mm -hmm serial killers and murder and stuff like that. So I want to know if you respond and start conversations with these people. I do, I do. If it's if it's a murderer or an accused murderer or, um, you know, or I was accused of this or that, uh, I don't tend to get involved because really they just want me to tell their story. And I, I'm not a true crime writer and I... You know, my next three books are all contracted. They're all, you know, so we'd be talking about years from now mm. anyway and blah, blah, blah. It's not really what I do. But mm. when it comes to, oh, I have a tip on this murder and no one will listen to me or I don't know what to do with it, well, I know homicide detectives and I know journalists and and so I'm kind of in the middle where I can take that and say, oh, hey, you know, um, I'll speak to someone and say, hey, can you do something with this or can you do something with this, you know. I mm. don't, there was one that was given to me about a cold case, a famous cold case. Um, I won't say what it was, um, but the guy said, I I have this tip, I have this clue, I think it's a clue and I don't know what to do with it. And so he gave it to me and then I had it. And I was like, well, I don't want to, like, what if it's, <laughs> like, what if it's true? And, and the buck sort of stopped with me. And mm. and he, you know, kind of said, well, I told someone about it and then they had it and it never went any further. And then, you know, 20 years passed. You hear about this stuff, 20 years passed and nothing happened. I, so I didn't want that to be me. So I was quite desperate to get rid of it, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. And then there are other varieties of, fans that are you know that they're just creepy creepy men and (laughs) creepy women and you know who just who just want to dirty chat with me or something I I just get every I get every variety I'm not actually surprised (laughs) but anyway so Crimson Lake um does really well 
Tell us about when you got the news or when you started the discussion that it was going to be filmed for television. Oh, yeah, it was years ago. Mm. Um, I was just reaching the point in my career where producers were starting to speak to me about what I was writing now because producers will try to get in as early as they can and snap your work up before it hits shelves in case it's massive, you know. Mm -hmm. So people were saying to me, what are you writing right now, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Crimson Lake was actually bought for television before it was finished. And I I was like, you guys don't even know who it en- how it ends. You don't know mm. who's guilty, Ted or Amanda, you know. So, and they were like, ah, oh, we don't care. Yeah. But they'd, had they read the first part of it? Yeah, yeah. They'd right. read, mm-hmm. I think they'd read like 30,000 words or something. Okay. Um, so this was, I think, 2015. And, uh, and yeah, I was happy to, to sell those rights. And I was thinking the way that most authors who option their books think, oh, well, it'll be on screens by next year. and and sometimes that happens uh mostly not and and you know the average what happens is usually it 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 happens in two or three years or it happens in seven or eight or ten years you know or it never Mm -hmm. happens um and um i had a tv and film agent at the time and he said that there was a book that he had been trying to get up for 20 years and he's like one day oh one day it'll happen you know and, um, you know, 99% of, of things that are screenplays and books that are optioned never hit the screen. And that's not a made-up statistic. That's actually like 99% of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So over the, the seven years or whatever it has been between when it was optioned and now, um, there's been a lot of lunch meetings and a lot of, uh, you know, just just speculation. Like, mm. um, what do you think of this actor? And what do you think of that actor? And this person's interested. So oh, that's no. with the production company. Yeah, the production company. So yeah. tell us about those lunch meetings and what sorts of things get discussed. And and at, and did it always look like it was going to be a happening thing, or did at any point you think, oh, I'm, I might going to yeah. be one of the ninety nine percent? You know, yeah. what? How did it unfold? You know what I. <laughs> I um, did not believe that it was actually going to happen until I said to them, I, I said to my family and my friends, I will believe it when Thomas Jane's feet are on the ground in Australia. <laughs> so so Thomas yeah. Jane is, is Ted Concafe, he's the, yeah, yeah, is the yeah. star of the, um, of the show, yeah? Yeah, so a lot mm. of the time it's, you know, it's like, oh, we have a distributor you know, and, and you go, okay, yeah, all right, that's great news, but I don't believe that it's ever going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. and they say, oh, we have someone locked in into, into the role and you go, oh, well, that's great news, but I there's so much, there's so much that has to come together. Yes, so much. And then they said, yes, we've cast Thomas Jane and, yes, we've cast Nicole Shamoon and, oh, we're looking at different locations in Queensland. And I, I just, I don't know, I just kind of held it back. Like I just didn't right. believe. And then I was So you just politely had these lunches and... Oh, yeah, I was just like, oh, that all sounds great. And then you go <laughs> home and you don't hear anything for like, you know, six months. And then they, <laughs> so it's hard. It's hard to maintain the belief. Yes. And then I was talking to his producer and she said, TJ has left here. He has left Los Angeles. And, and then she texted me, you know, hours later and she said, he's there. He's in Australia. And I said, 
well, do you have photos? <laughs> you didn't <laughs> believe that? Yeah. No, because, oh, I don't know, I, the last thing I believed, really believed, you know, was that I was going to get published one day, you know, and that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't, it didn't feel safe to hope for anything after that, you know. Um, so once I had my one book contract in Australia for Hades, I was like, I hoped so hard since I was a kid that that was going to happen mm-hmm. and then it did. It mm-hmm. didn't seem like it didn't seem fair or safe <laughs> to hope for like your own TV show. Yes. And um, and Thomas Jane is someone who's kind of been special in my life really. Like, I mean, he's been around in my life. There was this movie that I uh, kind of got obsessed with when I yeah. was teen. It was called Crow City of Angels. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and he was in that. Um, and I, I, I got so obsessed with that movie that I wore out the VHS, like I broke the movie I played it that much. And then I tried to get in the movie there's, she's got this, um, she's got these wings on her back, like a big back tattoo. And I tried, I tried to get that tattoo when I was like 17. I walked into this tattoo shop that was obviously run by bikers. There were terrifying men in there. But once I'd opened the door, I didn't, I wasn't game to turn around and just go straight back out. And so I went in there and I was like, I would like to get this full back tattoo on me. I have a letter from my parents saying it's okay. <laughs> and the guy just, this big grizzly biker, he just looked at the tattoo and he looked at me and he went, nope. And I went, okay, well, that's okay. That's fine. I'm just going to run away now as fast as I can. Okay, bye. You know, uh, <laughs> and so anyway, Thomas Jane was in that movie. He um, Hang on, hang on. So w- was Thomas Jane a suggestion of yours to no. be in this show? Because that's. No, no, no. Um, they had thrown a bunch of names at me. I won't name any of them mm-hmm. um, just because I may work with those actors at one mm-hmm. point and I don't want them to be like, hey, you passed on me or I passed on you or whatever. Mm. But they would, this is what they would do. They would say, oh, what do you think about this actor? And I'd go, oh, my God, I love him. He would be amazing for Ted. Wow, that's great. And then I'd spend a week watching everything that that actor has ever brought out um and then they'd go oh no he passed (laughs) you know or oh no he wanted to do it but he got cast on something very similar yeah whatever whatever so they said oh we're looking at thomas jane and i was like oh my god wouldn't that be amazing you know and i i thought back of all thomas jane movies i've ever watched and loved and like deep blue (laughs) sea i must have seen a hundred million times and and original sin and and i was like i know thomas jane oh my god that would be amazing but i just kind of went oh yeah wow meant to be so before we get more into the casting because it's so interesting. Yeah. The development of the script, because there are some differences. Yeah. And I absolutely recommend that people not only read the book if they haven't already, because that's a experience in itself, mm-hmm. but also watch the show. And I think it's really interesting to note some of the differences. So mm-hmm. tell us about some of the steps in the script development and how involved were you in this process? Yeah, you know, people say to me, um, oh, Candace, are you nervous 
it's your baby. What if they mess it up? You know, what if it's not exactly the same and all this and all these people are touching your baby. And I, I can't, I kind of, I like the baby analogy because I have actually had a baby. Yeah. Um, and so many people have come into my life and influenced her and mm. taught her things and changed her. And she says stuff sometimes. And I go, where did that come from? That's hilarious. <laughs> like who taught her that, you know? Um, so with, Crimson Lake slash Troppo, I was totally happy for that to happen, you know, because Mm. people, all these different people have added really Mm. interesting stuff to it and they've all made different decisions and it's now its own work of art. And I think Mm. about how incredibly boring it would be if I just wrote the script based on my own novel and I didn't let anyone change it in any way, you know, and I decided who all the actors would be and I had like total control. I just, I think that that would be incredibly boring. Um, you know, it's like little things along the way, like um, Thomas Jane texting me and saying, uh, you know, what kind of car do you think Ted would drive? You know, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and just an amazing experience of me going, well, I don't know, what kind of car do you think he would drive, you know, and us having a little and me giving over, I don't know, like permission is too strong a word, but me saying, hey, I invite you to add what you want to that mm. character and him mm-hmm. going, oh, I think this, you know, and then Yolanda, um, who's a head writer on it and the writer's room, you know, when writer's rooms were happening, they would email me and say, we're kind of stuck on this. Like why, why would Ted do this? You know, and I'd explain why the character did that, you know, and, and how he felt and and then they've got it represented on screen. Um, so, yeah, I've had a, a little bit of involvement, but I was very happy to just sit back. And there's, there's also I've never wanted to be an author who's precious uh, and I demand this and I demand that. Um, and so I really wanted to stand back and, and, and sort of say, I don't demand anything of you mm. with this. I mean, if they'd said to me, oh, great, we're turning Tom, you know, we're, we're turning Ted Concafe into an elephant and it's going to be set on the moon, I'd be like, well, that's, you know, I'm a little <laughs> bit upset about that. But once I understood that they got the themes. Yes. It's like, well, you understand, you get it, you know. I know. Well, they obviously got it. the characters as yeah. well because they yeah. did a great job, right? But when you saw that script mm. and you could identify, obviously, the differences, mm. what was your reaction? And in some of the cases, in some of the cases, the differences are, are minor mm. and, and, and some are, are bigger. Mm. Um, and it, it, so, number one, what was your reaction? And number two, did sometimes you go, oh, I see why they did that. Yeah, 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 D- definitely. Because I I feel lucky as a novelist because I've got, I've got 80,000, 90,000 words to tell you about this person, whereas mm. sometimes they've got 30 seconds to demonstrate how Ted feels, you know, about his wife changing mm. their daughter's name without telling him, you know, and you've got one person's got to write that into the script how he reacts, put words to it and actions. And then Thomas Jane's got to do it with his body and his face. Yeah. You know, and and there are all these wonderful decisions that have to be made. So I really love that. And then also things like um Damford, 
uh, uh, the character. Mm-hmm. In the book, he was very... I feel like he's not very complex. I wasn't very good uh, at, I mean, this is me bagging myself out, which I shouldn't do, but, you know, <laughs> I felt like my villains were very villainous, you know, in my first couple of books. You know, mm-hmm. Crimson Lake is my fourth solo book. Um, but it, it, coming to Troppo and watching Danford and reading the uh, script, he's so complex. He has, like, mm. a whole family. He has his own personal motivations. He's... You know, I'm inside his house and what is his... I never thought about what Danford's house looked like mm. when I wrote the book because he, you never see him in it, so I didn't worry about it, you know. But they've put him in that house, so they've had to make a whole bunch of decisions about how clean is he, how neat is he, how, yeah. you know, how, does, he, how does he do this, how did he do that, so, yeah. So when was production and did you go to set and meet everyone and so on? Oh, my God. So... I was locked down in Sydney <laughs> for the entire filming. Oh, and, wow. And, yeah. And, and New South Wales opened up like 10 days after TJ flew home. Oh. Yeah. And so I was devastated. <laughs> I was crushed. And I was crushed in a way that I couldn't possibly whinge about because how do you go around whinging to your author friends like oh, I couldn't go to the set of my TV show and I, and I missed out, you know. Like, it, it's, like, it's nothing to whinge about but also so you just stuff a pillow on your face and you go, good, <laughs> So way. could you join in via Zoom or FaceTime or anything? Oh, like no. That? A lot of the time it was night shoots as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and that kind of thing, and um, <laughs> they were just busy too. They had sixty five days of filming, mm. you know, mm. and that's that's all. That's they did it fast, um, you know, and and so I didn't want to get in there and be like, hey, can you spend an hour with me? Just you know, showing me around the set with a laptop or something. I didn't want to impose. Uh, mm. So yeah, so I missed out on that, um, and I missed out on the after party and all that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I'll make it up somehow. My, the nicest thing about it is I was watching the days count down to the announcement of them opening up, you know, New South Wales and all this kind of thing. And I, I slowly realised over the coming days that I wasn't going to make it, you know, and I was telling and people were saying, you're going to make it, you're going to be able And I was saying, no, I'm not going to make it. They're going to be finished by then. And my husband, without a shred of irony or joking or anything he in full seriousness he said to me babe you'll have other tv shows and I was like that's so nice like he's like in full belief but it's so true true right you know (laughs) like how many Jack Reachers are there it's absolutely true and I think particularly with this production company what they have nailed apart from the themes obviously is the is the characters of Ted Concafi and Amanda Farrell so the the casting mm. of um well Thomas Jane and Nicole Shamoon they are exactly what I had in my head oh really great absolutely great. absolutely I mean the the American part slightly different but you know yeah. Nicole as Amanda oh my god exactly what I and I'm so glad that they were true to you know visually what I had imagined yeah. the thing with your writing is and this is what I've been trying to break down and analyze Candace okay. <laughs> is that 
is Sounds that <laughs> no, 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 it's a pleasure. Yeah, okay. Um, and I will break it down one day because it's just <laughs> what I do. Um, is that even in a few short sentences of dialogue, that is, bang, this character is alive on the page. Oh, thank even you. without that much description, you know, you do do description, of course, but it's 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 the dialogue that suddenly I can see Sam, I can see, you know, whoever, right? Yeah. I'm just trying to unpack from you hmm. what you do with that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, how like that how. character, yeah, and how, because the, the dialogue is very distinctive. You, you know who's talking, mm. you know, because sometimes there's no speech tags or whatever, you know who's talking. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what do you do and from a craft point of view? Mm. Can you, you kind of explain that a bit? Uh, somebody said to me at some point, um, uh, or I read somewhere, I don't know, uh, you're, you're supposed to be able to just take, just have the dialogue on the page and say, I know who that is, I know who that is. Mm. I know who, everyone talks the way they talk. Um, and, and, yeah, I've always loved dialogue. I've loved listening to people. And one of my catchphrases, you know, um, when I'm talking, listening, having a conversation, I say, I say I'm going to use that, I'm going to use that. Just the mm. way that somebody talks. Um, so I just, I just love language and I love listening to people. And I am someone. I come from a bit of a scrappy background, you know, like working class. We didn't have a lot of money. Yeah, western suburbs of Sydney. My mum uh, fostered a bunch of kids while I was growing up. There were cops. There were criminals. There were, you know, my dad was working in prisons. So I grew up with that kind of language. And then I've, I've been in and out of different situations and had to fake it till I make it. You know, I was teaching at university at a prestigious uh, Sydney university at one point, <laughs> you know, and trying to tone down my swearing and the twang <laughs> and trying to keep up with what the hell are these people even saying because their words are so complex and the way they talk. Um, you know, so I've, I've, I've always paid attention to, to language. Um, but yeah, how do you do it on a page is you just, um, you just boil it down. Like you're reducing a source and you, you, you write it, um, you write a conversation between two characters and then I go back and I go, no, that's unnecessary. That's unnecessary. Cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it. Because people will say as little as they can particularly mm, men. Mm. <laughs> and so if you're looking at male do dialogue, you say, how could I say that faster? Could I, could I say that with one word? Mm. You know, and what word would he use? Um, but if it's somebody who's really into themselves and considers themselves to be very smart, often they'll go on and on and on and on. And uh, I just pay attention to language. You know, I really hate being interrupted. <laughs> Because I grew up in this really loud household full of kids and I never felt like I was heard um, and I was constantly like, I have a problem, like, yeah, and I had this really big loud voice when I was a kid um, and because I just couldn't, no one would listen to me. <laughs> um, so I noticed when other people are getting interrupted and I noticed when someone's interrupting me and, and I think interruptions sometimes uh, a good one character interrupting another and someone's trying oh. to say something and they get really frustrated. I use a lot of that. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> now I'm afraid to interrupt you. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I, uh, I was dealing with this um, very big celebrity author um, uh, who came out to Australia and I hung around with them a little bit. And from there, uh, PR team told someone that I know he hates to be interrupted. And, and so everyone was like, ah, oh, so would you like, you know, <laughs> no, it's just, yeah, I don't know. When, I, when, I having, when I'm having an argument with someone, when they interrupt me, I'm like, don't you interrupt me, you know. Just, you <laughs> That's really interesting because there is a scene in there exactly about interruptions, so clearly yeah. it's a thing. Mm. Um, all right, so it, yeah. Crimson Lake is written, slash Tropo, is written from um, Ted's first-person point of view, mm. um, I, this, I, that, and all that. And you really, obviously, you really see it through predominantly Ted's experiences and Ted's eyes. When you're writing someone like Ted mm. in first person and you're figuring out scenes in your head, yeah. Do you like become Ted? You know, <laughs> I love how you were like. Yeah. I feel like that kind yeah. of happens, but yeah. I, so I'm curious to know whether it does. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's you know whoever it is. Um, if I'm the I character, it's usually the, as close as I can get to normal because it can be or who I am because it can be exhausting to be someone who's very intense like Amanda. I wouldn't do Amanda in first person for a whole book because she's too intense and weird and fragmented and her thoughts would be very short and this kind of stuff. Mm, so mm. Um, if it's an eye character, it's that that character in the book is as close as you'll get to me, thinking and feeling and opinions and that kind of thing. So I can just take a seat, you know. And every now and wow. then I have to remind myself, okay, I'm a man in his late 40s. I'm not me, me. So, <laughs> you know, when I'm thinking about, oh, this character sees this um, sees this television show and I'm like, I, I would love to watch that. It's maths. But I go, oh, hang on, no, I'm Ted. So he wouldn't yeah, like right. that and, and I change things. Um, but for the Bennett Archer series, uh, I was Frank Bennett in first person for all of mm. that. And that's how I kind of felt um, at that time, like a sort of a, yeah, he's like a knockabout, easygoing, working class guy. He's just trying to do his job. You know, that's kind of how I felt in my life. Um, and, uh, okay. yeah, so it was the easy, the eye is usually the easiest with me. Yeah. So with the, um, uh, some of the characters have changed, the author character. So this isn't a spoiler, everyone. Oh, yeah. um, the author character is not an author in the television series. Mm-hmm. Um, were you surprised by that or and do you, what's your take on why that occurred? Um, they said to me early on, we're changing the crime um, and we just didn't feel that the Jake Scully crime was big and complex enough to sustain an eight-hour series because it's a long time. It's a, you know, mm, it, it's mm. a long time. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of red herrings and that kind of thing, um, you know, and uh, and I was fine with that. And 
yeah, I was happy enough with it. I mean, they were sort of explaining to me that he's from this big tech company and mm. they're trying out, you know, energy resources. And I liked the idea of that because I could see that big glassy room mm. where they're doing the presentation and, you know, the mm. rivers in the background and that kind of thing. I, I think I thought it really suited the uh, the narrative. So, yeah, I was happy enough with that. Jake Scully in um, Crimson Lake is the least interesting. I really wanted uh, him to just be the sandpit that that Ted and Amanda play in because yeah. um, it's just it's hard to do uh, the victim to create a lot of empathy for the victim in a crime novel because they're dead usually <laughs> and, and all you've got left behind is their family. Um, mm. And so you've got to make the reader care about that victim by by their family being really upset or mm. not upset and you're like, you're not upset enough and then it becomes, yeah. Mm. So, One of the things that's very apparent in all of your novels is your deep knowledge of slightly disturbingly crime <laughs> and <laughs> a police um, procedures and police, you know, law enforcement frameworks yeah. and um murder not just the um the the actions involved in a murder but the mindset of a criminal yeah. how um obviously there's a lot of research that goes into that what kinds of things like what, what kinds of contacts do you keep up in order to check that you are doing it authentically writing it authentically you know, um, I've just cultivated over the years a collection of, you know, mid-level police officers and homicide detectives and I have a homicide detective in Los Angeles who's, you know, a very good friend of mine, a very valuable contact. I have one in New York. I have prison employee, you know, people who work in prisons and you just you just pick up these people along the way. And after, you know, about my third or fourth or fifth book, you can just tap on sh someone's shoulder and say, this is who I am, I'm an author, and they can Google you and they go, oh, okay, she is real, you know, and and then they they want to get involved. People just want to get involved. They want to tell you uh, um, what's going on. And uh, it's funny, with police, you'll either find they just don't want to talk to you ever or tell you anything or they just won't shut up. <laughs> and it's like, I, want to, I want to tell you about my best case ever. Uh, I, I met with a, um, a Sydney homicide detective. Um, I'm sure I won't. I don't know. I don't know if I should say who he is or not. But anyway, he's, you probably know who he is. He's quite famous, uh, which narrows it down. But uh, yes, we, okay, <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> first time we had coffee together, we were there for like an hour and a half. And we just kept going, okay, I just want to tell you this one more story. <laughs> and, and we go, okay, we really do have to go now. Okay, I just want to, but before we do, I just want to, and, and we did that for like another 45 minutes. Just oh, going, my God. Oh, like, this reminds me of this thing. And it's just going on and on and on. And um, it turns out that he and I have a, um, a chainsaw murderer in common. He said, I know what? this guy. Yeah, he goes, I know this guy. Um, you know, and and he was accused of um, chopping his girlfriend up with a chainsaw. And I went, 
hang on, I know that guy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, we know the same guy. That's amazing. What a small world. I mean, how many chainsaw murderers are there? Uh, oh, my God. We both know the same one. Uh, yeah. So, the yeah. way your mind works, but the way also you retain information and you must yeah. note it down, have some kind of system of noting it down somewhere because you have to actually use it again. Yeah. Um, I'm so interested in it. You know, my yes. husband is a huge baseball <laughs> fan and he sits there and he goes, oh, you know, this this baseballer, you know, his last game, he didn't do that well because he had this injured elbow and blah, blah, blah and all this. And and you think, how you're a nerd, you're a baseball nerd, how do you remember all this stuff, all these numbers, oh, you're a nerd. And then I sit there and I go, well, actually, for a charge like that, you're probably looking about this many years and then you get probation <laughs> and you add an exit, you know, or or the DNA, you can pick up DNA from teeth, but it's like this and it's oh. like, you're a nerd, you're a murder nerd. Oh, my God. So the way I I love the way you have laid it all out in your course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. And we get so much incredible feedback on that course. I mean, I did the course and I was absolutely I learned so much. But also (laughs) I was chatting to um, Danuka McKenzie, who wrote The Torrent. And, you know, which was named one of the most notable, most anticipated books of 2022 or something. And she did um, your course, How to Write About Murder, and, um, you know, got a lot out of it. But just for listeners who might be interested in doing that course, um, what's in it? It's, uh, it's, it's your toolbox. It's your starter kit of being able to write crime, really. So we, we, we tried to put together a chapter on everything that you would know from you know, crime scenes, how do they work, who's there, what do they do, you know, all those nitty-gritty questions and also some famous ones and then there are activities all the way to, you know, prisons. What is it like to be in prison? Here are some uh, examples of what people have said, what is intake like, what are prison prison terms and it's just crime, how, how to write a villain, how to write a hero. It's your uh, your toolbox really. And, mm. yeah, I've, I've heard such great things about that course over the years and and I didn't know Danuka had done it but there have been a couple of crime authors who have come up who said yeah I did it or I did it twice and and that kind of thing and I just think that's so cool um, it's great because it is it is it's an, it's a toolbox it's a blueprint it's everything you need to know yeah. to write about murder right from premeditation to the actual act of murder different types of murder to the police to the investigation to yeah. you know the the trial so mm-hmm. very very comprehensive i like i said i learned so much it's ridiculous <laughs> but the other thing that you're um known for is how prolific you are I honestly don't know how you do it Candice so tell us what you are working on currently or what you're you must I assume that you might be doing a a variety of different books at different stages so what's snapshot of now the first time they ever said to me hey Candice do you think you could write two books at once I was like well, that's a little bit crazy. I'm not sure, but okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was because I, I I never would say no at that stage. So I wrote Crimson Lake um, and Never Never with James Patterson at the same time, and then I went. Actually, that's a good amount of busyness for me. Um, so I, since then, I've sort of done you know either two at a time or uh, overlapping with each other. So at the moment, I am working on um, a novel, my own standalone novel, um, 
And I'm also working on uh, an Audible exclusive. I have an Audible exclusive uh, fictional podcast coming out uh, in March. Um, so, wow. Yeah. So they asked me to do another one. Um, and so I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Um, so, but I, I have almost finished uh, the novel, so I'm just going to race to the end of that and put, put the fictional podcast on the, on the um, back burner for the moment. And yeah. So, what's the the fiction podcast fiction you know thing on Audible yeah. called? Um, it's called Hunting Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a kidnapping. So, um, oh, a detective in New York um, is assigned to a kidnapping, and she's looking at the crime and sort of thinking, "Holy moly! I think my ex husband did this. He's another uh, police officer." Um, and so she's got to try and investigate, but don't investigate too hard. Push the investigation away from her husband who has abducted this kid and convince him to let the kid go before the investigation comes around and gets him. Uh, and it's, uh, it's so much fun because it's all audio and sound effects. Mm. Um, so it's just fast as lightning and action-packed and Twist, 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 you know, because it's it's uh, 10 episodes and right. every every episode you got to end on that twisty yes. kind of hook that's like up the stakes and up the stakes and up yes. the stakes. Uh, I love that kind of thing. Um, wow. So that is so cool. That's right, yeah. Fine. So with your with so many books that you're writing and Audible originals and stuff like that, what's your ideas file look like? Like, do you just have a bunch that are waiting to be busted out as novels or do you take each novel as it comes and kind of think, okay, what am I going to write this time? I try not to flirt with other novels while I am married to a novel, but it sometimes (laughs) happens. Um, I just hear something or I see a crime or I watch a documentary and then I fall in love with a concept and so I, I try to think to myself, okay, I really love this right now. Like, for example, Con Men. I had a little Con Men oh. obsession because I watched Love Fraud and then yep. um, there was um, Dirty John and all that kind yep. of But I was writing The Chase, which, you know, mm. is, a, is a prison. So I was like, how can mm. I, how can I scoop, how can I <laughs> scoop my boyfriend into my marriage type of thing um, in, in that? And so I added, <laughs> so I added a Con Men. Um, so I, yeah, my ideas, they're just constant. And I always have a book, which is not inside my genre that I'm just writing in my head to write at night while I'm falling asleep because I fall What do you mean you're writing it in your head and you write at night and you're writing it in your head at night? (laughs) Yeah. Well, see, when, when I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of writing time. Uh, I would be able to write when I got home from school, but before, you know, dinner time. And I had this little section. So when I would fall asleep at night, I would think about what I was going to write that in that section of my day the next day and I'd get it perfect, perfect, perfect so that I could just spew it out. Um, so I trained myself to go to sleep thinking about what am I going to write next? What am I going to write next? But if I do that in my current life, I'm thinking about work. You know, and it's like, oh, are the audience is going to like that? Have I done that in a book uh-huh. before? Blah, blah, blah. It gets very stressful. So I, um, I don't write like apocalyptic zombie fiction, but I would love to. And so in my head right now, I am writing this like end of the world <laughs> zombie thing, but I just do it in my head at night while I'm falling asleep. 
you're so weird. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's so weird. But I don't, I don't know how to relax. So that's, that's. Oh my God. All right. Well, yeah. okay. I, I, I am actually keen to read that book because I have no doubt it'll be really bizarre and no doubt very compelling. But, okay, finally, what are your top three tips? Now, I've asked you your top three tips before. So I'm not going to ask you your top three tips about writing. I'm going to ask you your top three tips about longevity as an author. Because, you know, you've written so many books now um, and you've gone way past you know, book one, which is when I first met you. Yeah. What are your top three tips of longevity as an author? Okay. Well, um, figure out as fast as you can how you work um, because everybody's different, you know. So I don't like to work in an office. I'm sitting in an office right now in my office at home, but I I rarely ever use this (laughs) office. I like to work in cafes and busy places. And I like to do musical chairs. So I'll be in this cafe for a while, then I'll move to this one, then I'll go and be in the park, then I'll come home, you know. And I figured that out after a couple of books when I was writing a book and it wasn't working. And I was like, what is not working? You know, mm. it's because I was sitting here in an office. I needed to get out and get moving, you know. Right. Then I realised um, that I am not a writer who can just sit for an hour and write. I do like 20 minutes get up, move around, go and do the washing up, come back another 20 minutes, get up, walk the dog around the block, another 20 minutes, you know. And so, wow, yeah, so I know how I work. Mm. And that's useful because you can stop yourself from making mistakes and wasting time. Mm. Mm. Longevity as an author, um, be nice to everyone that you possibly can. I know that's a problematic piece of advice, but it's it's mainly just don't be a jerk. You don't have mm. to be nice, but don't be a jerk to anyone in this industry ever mm. because your publicist's assistant today mm. in 10 years is going to be like head of the company or something or head of publicity yeah. or whatever it is. This is an industry where people move around and they move up a lot and so you know don't be a jerk Mm. (laughs) um and um yeah just um just be open to doing different things i suppose uh i've i've written your kind of your gothic dextery sort of stuff and i've written action thrillers and i've written you know steamy noir type of things um and when you try you know, you scoop up different authors, like you scoop up different readers every time you do that mm, because mm. the action people go, oh, I right. like action. What's she doing next? Oh, it's noir. Oh, I don't really read that, but I'll read her because I like the last one. Mm. And then you scoop up different types of readers and then you'll group them all together. I love that. That's excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Crimson Lake slash Troppo, the TV series is out now. Go read the book, go watch the television show, go buy Candace's books because it's always an incredible experience. Thank you so much for your time today, Candace. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Candace. Now, I'm so excited that Troppo has been released. It's an eight-part series based on Crimson Lake, as I mentioned. Now, as Candace is one of our beloved presenters, we also have a special offer to celebrate this with you. If you'd love to write authentic, 
gripping, edge-of-your-seat crime and thriller stories, you'll love Candace's popular course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. It's packed full of fascinating modules and insights and stories that are just so interesting. It'll take your novel or your stories to the next level. The great thing about this course is that Candace breaks down all of the gritty details and takes you beyond the police tape to explore the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation to prison life. So for a limited time, you can get this brilliant course for a special price just for you. There's 31% off until the 7th of March. That's a whopping 31% off until the 7th of March. So head to writercenter.com.au slash murder course to find out more. That's writercenter.com.au slash murder course. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you got a lot out of it. And I hope you connect with me on social media. You can find me at Instagram at Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O. Admittedly, my Instagram is a little bit more focused on the artistic side of the things that I'm doing these days. Or you can connect with me on Twitter also at Valerie Koo. Uh, Also, just ping me on Facebook. Absolutely love to connect with you there. Thanks for listening, everyone. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.